love. Some would say it took a backseat when the pandemic forced us apart. As a family-run and proudly Canadian-owned company, Charm Diamond Centres saw the need to bring us together with tales of love and created the Canadian Love Map podcast. Since then, we've shared hundreds of real, uplifting stories that prove love conquers all. So thank you for listening. We couldn't do it without you. And remember, love starts here. Don't you just love a good love story? Love is like that. It's the light that is part of your life. It's unconditional. There's something there for all of us. There's hope that we can get through this and find some joy in our lives. He's always been the one. Self-love is a love story too. Those little sparks of joy are really important. Imagine someone making your biggest dream come true. It's important for people to understand that you're not alone. We love to be part of a Canadian love story. The love story never ends. Well, love is the most important thing. It's really hard to explain when you grow up your whole life not knowing anybody. And so in our 50s, to have found somebody else that we're related to, it alters your worldview. It, It makes you feel connected. It's the best thing that ever happened to me. And if there is somebody else that pops up, we will embrace them. Hi, I'm Nancy Regan. This week's love story belongs to Dorothy and Dawn. In 1955, two babies were born a week apart at the same hospital. They had different moms, but unbeknownst to either woman, the babies shared the same father. This wasn't revealed until six decades later, when Dorothy, in an ancestry search, found Dawn. Now, amidst further discoveries and synchronicities, these long-lost siblings are carving out a beautiful relationship. This is the Canadian Love Map. Dorothy and Dawn, welcome. I'm so excited to speak with you. This is a love story with a difference, and it's kind of hard to know where to start. But why don't we begin at St. Michael's Hospital? Dorothy? That sounds good. In 1955, in June, two women were rushed to St. Michael's Hospital where one gave birth to me on the 23rd of June, and a second woman gave birth to Dawn a week later on July 1st. Many, many years later, through DNA testing, we discovered that we were brother and sister, that the two different women both bore the same man's child. It's such an incredible story. Now, Dorothy, we're going to skip ahead to that time when you made that discovery. What was it that made you want to find out more about your past and your ancestry? I wasn't adopted until I was almost three. So I've been interested in finding my family all my life. And uh, about five years ago now, it must be almost, Dawn and I registered at the same time on Ancestry DNA. And that's how we found each other. So what was it like when you got that response from that program? I was in a restaurant with my friend. And I felt weird. I felt different. And I just thought, I I have to check this. And so I checked it. And I realized immediately that the number of centimorgans, which is the unit of of DNA that matches, was high enough that the person I had matched to in New Brunswick must be my half-brother. 
it felt really exciting and really scary. <laughs> yeah, the balance of the two, I'm sure. And and what did you do from there? How did you go about getting in touch with him? Um, Ancestry has a messaging feature, which we used first. Then we used email. Then we used phone calls. And eventually, Don and his Anne were lovely enough to come and visit me. Amazing. Okay, I'd really like to get into both of your stories, because at that point, when you got in touch, you had led very different lives. Although you had something extraordinary in common, you led very different lives. Dorothy, you want to tell me about your childhood? Sure. I had uh, six different foster homes and two long stints in convalescent hospitals before I was eventually adopted. Um, I had all kinds of medical problems, including congenital abnormalities in my feet. So I didn't walk well, and I didn't sleep well, and I sleptwalked and all kinds of things. And I was eventually diagnosed with failure to thrive. And when I was adopted, my family, I think my dad loved me and my, my mother struggled to do so. Mm-hmm. So I grew up here in Toronto. I went to university. I got married, I had two kids, I got divorced, was a teacher, and I guess a lot of those things will be counterpoint to some of Don's story. Mm-hmm. Don, tell us yours. Well, we lived in Toronto for probably about four years. At first, I was in the foster home once, and then my mother brought me to the Dorns, and I was in the foster home there for probably seven or eight months. And then I, I did get adopted by uh, the Dorn family. I don't remember much in Toronto because I left there, was four years old. And then we moved to a small town called Rogersville. It's mm-hmm. near Moncton on Route 126. We lived with my grandfather, I remember. And then my father built a home. But through my childhood, uh, it was it was good. I I had to follow the rules. That mm-hmm. was one thing. Uh, he was pretty strict on me. How much did each of you know about your birth parents as you were growing up? Yeah, um, Don and I were both given what the government allowed at that time, back in 1955, which was a sheet of what was called non-identifying information. And so mine gave some generalities. They said my mother was in her mid-20s. They said she had freckles and sandy hair. They said she was a high school graduate. They said um, that she had worked as a stenographer. That's everything I knew. That's it. They said Mm -hmm. nothing about my birth father other than my mother had reported to her worker that they had dated a couple of times and that she did want him notified. Children's Aid had apparently left phone messages at his house that were not returned. So that was, at that time, mm-hmm. the sum and total that I knew up until I eventually met my birth mother in my 50s. Oh, my gosh. Imagine. And, Don, what about you? How much did you know about your birth parents? Well, it's like Dorothy was saying, when I was growing up, I, it's like I said, I always knew that I was adopted. I never really made any attempts while she was living. Mm-hmm. My wife was after me. Well, would you like to find out? And I said, yeah. And then there was a, a lady in KV 
she was doing genealogy and I, I approached her and she, she took, that's what she told me. She said, you should contact the uh, children's aid in Ontario. And I, we did that. And then I got all the information. Like I knew how much, uh, aunts and uncles I had and, but I never had any names. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. So when you found each other, what was your first conversation like? It's, it's funny because when I arrived from work, Anne said, your DNA is in it. We start going through it. And then I'm pretty sure while we were going through it, we got a text message from Dorothy. Huh. I said, gee, because the DNA, I, I was expecting, uh, I always wanted to see how much the Jillian I had in me. I wasn't expecting at all a text from Dorothy, and then she texted, and I was shocked just reading what she was saying, and it was great, really, because uh, I have two daughters, and that was the only blood that I, I had, my two daughters, and now that I know I have a half-sister, but when she, when she said it, at first, really, it was something that was, I wasn't expecting at all. Dorothy, what did you say in that text? I don't even entirely remember. I, I just was so excited. I remember saying, um, telling him who I was and then saying, if I'm reading this DNA correctly, it looks like you're my half-brother, that we share the same father. Um, I'd love to hear back from you at any time, basically. And we just mm. went from there. Amazing. Yeah. So then I guess your search intensified in a way, because even though you made that enormous discovery, there was still a lot that you needed to know about your mother's and your father. Where did you go from there? It, it peels back like an onion. I had already found my birth mother. I had found her through more traditional means, not DNA testing, but um, when the adoption records legislation changed in 2013 and we were able to apply for our statement of live birth, it contained my birth mother's name on it. And I had to hire a private detective who specialized in adoption reunions and found her eventually in 2013 and met her before she died. That was when she told me a little bit about my birth father, um, that he lived in Toronto, drove a Studebaker, came from a musical family, and that they had met on a date that went wrong. Mm-hmm. When I met Dawn, I already knew some all of that, obviously. So we were able to share that information about our joint birth father. But we didn't know anything about him until considerably later when our cousin posted on DNA. And through our cousin, we were able to do a little bit of detective work and figure out who his uncle, our father, was. Um, and find out his name and find out where he lived and find out a little bit more about him. Our cousin was initially very forthcoming and all kinds of things to say, but then I think it became difficult for him and he stopped communicating with us after a little bit. Uh-huh. And when you found out more about your father, I gather that kind of left you in a, an ethical quandary. It is and it isn't an ethical quandary. Part of me says that Don and I are pretty decent people and we're well worth knowing and we haven't done anything wrong. Mm -hmm. And every family has skeletons in the closet, every family. So people should be able, I think, to handle 
whatever gets thrown at them. Although I realize there might be a period of time where they need to adjust to what gets thrown at them. It looks like our birth father, um, certainly in my mother's case, my conception wasn't consensual. Mm-hmm. John's conception was within a couple of days of my conception. We also have an older half-sister, Denise, who we will unfortunately never get to know because she lives in a care home and has dementia. She's five years older than we are. So the conclusion is perhaps that our birth father, maybe the kindest way to say it was like to the ladies too much. Mm-hmm. There are other ways to say it that are less kind or and maybe more factual. I don't know. Yeah. So the ethical quandary that you ask about is we would really dearly love to get to know our father's family. He had three kids um, in his marriage. We don't know how many others. <laughs> um, and mm-hmm. we would dearly love to get to know them. But also coming forward will make them see their father in a different light. So that's a bit of an ethical quandary. I went through that with my birth mother. Um, it was very hard for her to admit to her kids what had happened. She'd never told them. She'd never told them she was date raped. She'd never told them they'd ha- she'd had a baby. So telling her family that was really hard. And they didn't handle it all that well. They, they really struggled with that news. So that's the ethical quandary. You know you're bringing somebody news that will alter their life. But I know having Dawn in my life has altered my life for the better regardless mm-hmm. of the circumstances of our birth. And, and that's the way I'd, I'd like everybody to try to see it. That's beautiful. Don, tell me about your birth mother. Of what I know about my birth mother, uh, she left Chile when she was young. What I know about my mother, she uh, she learned English through records and that, and, and she became a translator. Did her parents know that she was pregnant? Were they Were they aware that she had you? Through the information I got, she didn't want to tell her family. Mm-hmm. Her, her family, I don't think they would have. She kept it a secret, in other words. Wow, both your stories really point to how differently men and women were treated at the time. Yeah. Dor- yeah. Dorothy, what do you have to say about that? Yeah, I think that's really true. Um, our father got off scot-free multiple times, three that we know of, possibly mm-hmm. more. And my birth mother, you know, it was very hard watching an 83-year-old woman break down talking about what happened to her when she was 23, you know, and she said it was the the worst night of my life, but at least you came out of it. Oh, my goodness. Which I thought was a lovely thing to say to someone that she had just met. But it, it, it came very close to ruining her life, although in another very odd coincidence, Almost immediately after encountering my father, she met another man. So she encountered my father in October. She met another man almost immediately after that. They married in April, and then she gave birth to me in June. Oh, wow. So it was a struggle in her mind whether or not to keep me. And I guess in the end, she decided it wasn't fair to him. So there's another example of the man, as you say, being prioritized and his needs and his desires being prioritized, you know, over hers because she didn't want to give me up. And I often wonder what it would have been like to have been raised in that family. But obviously, that's one of the things I'll never know. Oh, my goodness. But also, you know, the shame with which women were treated when they got pregnant out of wedlock, so to speak. Yeah, she was still ashamed. 
you know, all those years later, you know, 53, I was 53 when I met her. All those years later, she was so embarrassed and so ashamed. And I kept saying, it's not your fault. Don't be embarrassed. Don't be ashamed. It didn't matter. That was shame she carried her whole life. And I, I, it really made me see the generational difference because I don't think that anything about Dawn or I is shameful. Nothing about us is shameful. So I think it's good that the time has moved on. I love the way you shook your head there, Don. You're right. We're not shameful. So, you know, I'm so glad that that the times have moved on from the pain that both our birth mothers went through. We couldn't share the great stories that we do here on the Canadian Love Map podcast without the amazing support of Charm Diamond Centres. They are Canada's largest family-owned jeweler, and they're proud to be putting love on the map. The folks at Charm Diamond Centres are thrilled to be a part of your love story. So visit CharmDiamondCenters.com or one of your local stores. Love starts here. I know, Dorothy, that uh, you and your mother had something interesting in common. You both wrote books about your journeys. Is that right? Yeah, the coincidences just pile on. It's it's very, very strange. When I met my birth mother, I just I had just written my own memoir, uh, Falling for Myself. And she told me that she had written a memoir and had it self-published um, from Canada to California, which was the story of how she had grown up. Her father abandoned her sister and her mother in the 30s. So you can imagine they rented one room and all three of them lived in one room in Toronto while the mother worked. And that was an extremely difficult growing up. But she, in her memoir, also wrote about something very strange. She and my adoptive mother went to the same elementary school. Now, 10 years apart, but Swansea Public. So my mother's childhood and my birth mother's childhood were extraordinarily similar. They went to Sunnyside Park. They loved going to the Eaton Santa Claus Parade. They went down to Eaton's to see the windows. It was just so interesting the way their childhoods were so incredibly similar. And then I'll just give you one, one last coincidence because I think it's really so cool. When I went to Western, I didn't know why I needed to go to Western. Nobody in my family had gone to university, let alone to Western, but I had to go there. I subsequently found out that I was 30 minutes away from the McLean family farm, where seven generations of my mother's ancestors had farmed, and that two of my best friends at Western drove right past the farm and the graveyard every day on their way in to Western. It was just the strangest coincidence. There I am studying history at Western, where I eventually, when I knew the name, went back to Western and discovered that there were all kinds of McLean's papers right there in the reading room that I would never have ever been able to think about looking at because I didn't know the name when I was a student. Don, tell me about the coincidences with you and your family and, and what it was like to go to Chile. Yeah, well, my wife and I, we decided that it was time to go to Chile. Once we got there, uh, we arrived at a big hotel. We were there for 10 days altogether. So we said, well, we're going to start in Santiago. And then we took off. We went down to uh, La Serena, way up north in the desert. And there were beautiful beaches. 
So we were there for a couple of days, and then we start coming back down. From there, we went to Valparaiso, and then from Valparaiso, we went to Santa Cruz. And then that that night there, we got a call from from Linda Jarvis. Linda contacted Gonzola. He was a genealogist that we had met in Xi'an, where my mother was from. So anyway, in the morning, we took off. And then while we were driving, we got a, a text from Gonzola. And he said, I found your family the last two days. Wow. So you went to Chile without knowing that you were actually, oh, we my goodness. We just wanted to go and visit. And I knew my mother was from Xi'an. While we were driving down there, I said, holy jumping. So anyway, we drove down, took a few hours to get there. And then while we got there, Gonzalo was there. He had made all the arrangements. He went and contacted my family because to the docket, they, if my mother, I knew that it was Anna Sifuentes, but they go by the surname, Vilchez. Mm-hmm. And that's what we didn't have. Plus the date of birth was wrong. When we got there, Gonzalo was waiting for us. He had everything. He brought me to the cemetery where my mother was from, where uh, she was from Toronto, and they had send her ashes down. So she was no longer living when you when you found the no, family. No, she she died mm-hmm. in 1986. He said, "Your family wants to meet you tonight at seven o'clock." Whew. Okay, so anyway, he had gone down. He had went into the compound, and he, the night before, and he explained my situation. They accepted to, to meet me. So when I when we arrived there at seven o'clock, it was a big compound. A guy came with his a German shepherd and he opened up the compound. And inside the compound there was five homes. Oh wow. Every everything is gated there. And then they invited us in the house. So got in the house and then Gonzola came with us. He translated everything. I was telling Gonzola about the information that I had when I arrived there. I I showed him a, a picture when I was in the bassinet in the child, the, the blanket, the knitting mm-hmm. on the blanket was ah. the same knitting that their mothers had when they were infants. Because my mother used to used to knit and make clothes for me when when I was in Toronto, where when I got adopted. She'd come and visit me where where I was in Toronto, and she'd make me clothes and that. So anyway, through that picture, there was a bond there. They knew because they had the same the same pattern. That's what they told me. So that was like proof to them. Was it emotional for you, Don? Yes, yes. It still is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It seems like everything fell. Boom. Because when Ann and I, we went to Chile, we never had any problems. Even though if we couldn't speak the language, there was always somebody there to help us. And it seemed like my mother guide, guided us all along. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's beautiful. I, I know in terms of coincidences, there are also quite a few coincidences between the two of you and the way your lives unfolded. Yes, yes. yes. Tell me about that, Dorothy. 
Yeah, well, we both grew up in a home with two adopted and two non-adopted siblings. I was the oldest, he was the youngest. We both had Springer Spaniels. Don, in yeah. fact, trained his in agility. Um, our Springer Spaniel, Tasha, could not be trained to do anything. But <laughs> we, we both love the same kind of dogs, which I thought was really cool. There's also a really interesting coincidence in our cousin when we found him. He was born in St. Michael's Hospital a month before we were. And one of the other things he told me was that he has a son named Connor. I have a son named Connor. Nobody in my in my adopted family is named Connor. But our cousin told us that our grandmother's maiden name was Connor, which was why he had named his son Connor. And just again, this extraordinary coincidence that I named my son Connor. It's just all of those things, so many interesting coincidences and and things sort of continue to be recursive in the story all the time, which is just so interesting. It makes you question nature and nurture and, you know, what role both of those things had in our lives. How would you say the two of you are similar and how are you different? Dorothy is more verbal. She has, uh, well, she was a teacher. I, I know I coach a lot of hockey and that. We were similar, but in different ways. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, we both know that every good phone conversation begins with three minutes about the weather. That That's <laughs> something in common. We both like to do that when we first start yeah. talking, which is just yeah. funny. It, it's just so funny. Nobody else wants to talk about the weather with me, but Don always does. So that's good. Um, I think we have similar sense of humor. I think that... We're both very emotional, but we're very hard not to show it. I think that's Mm -hmm. also true that we kind of hold that tight. I think obviously we're different in that he's an athlete and I'm disabled and he thinks hockey is just the greatest thing on earth. And I don't know why people want to strap knife blades on their feet. I I have no idea. But, you know, if he enjoys it, that's great. Um, So I think that there, there are some similarities and some differences that, uh, you know, I always I, I leave myself wondering how much of it is something that we've inherited together and and how much of it is because we grew up in completely different places. It, it's really it's really interesting to wonder because it's the kind of thing you're never going to know for sure. What has it meant to each of you to find the other? Myself, I'm, I'm thrilled. I, I'm really glad because I had two daughters, but for blood. Knowing that I do have a, a half sister, I do love it. Dorothy, how do you feel to have found Dawn? It's really hard to explain. When you grow up your whole life not knowing anybody, just as he said, the first people he was blood related to that he ever laid eyes on were his daughters. The first people I ever was blood related to that I laid eyes on were my two kids. And so in our 50s, to have found somebody that else that we're related to, it it's, alters your worldview. It, it makes you feel connected. Um, there's a kind of a, a brotherly and sisterly love that I felt for Dawn that just kind of happened instantly. Like it wasn't something I felt we had to work at, which was also really nice. I think also it, one of the things that it all of this journey made possible was that we encountered a, a woman who used our DNA to do DNA genealogy 
who gave us this huge family, which goes all the way back to England and all, in my case, all the way back to Scotland as well, that, um, you know, goes back seven or eight generations now to go from having no one to having Dawn, to having all of these extended relatives throughout history, it grounds me. It makes me feel like I'm part of that human history in a way that I wasn't before. And and I'm incredibly grateful for him and for all of the places that our journey has taken us. It's like your family tree literally has roots now and new branches. Yes. Exactly. What do you think your two birth mothers who gave birth within a week of each other at St. Michael's Hospital would think if they could see us having this conversation right now? Wow. (laughs) That's a good one. I'm pretty sure she's looking over my shoulder and watching me. I have so many around the house. My mother was a painter. I have all her, her paintings. I have her, her rosary. I have her Bible. I was reading, was laying down in bed, and I always keep her Bible. Wherever I go, her Bible comes at me. And I was in bed reading through the Bible and that. And then I opened up this page and this long black hair. And I looked at Anne. I said, look, Anne. And then I just closed the Bible and I kept the hair in there. Wow, that's a literal DNA that connects you to yeah, have a, yes, a yes, lock of her hair. Yeah. yeah. It's that's all really stuff beautiful. Like that, that I know she's present around because she had to be there for us for our trip in Chile, the way that it happened. It couldn't happen better. That's lovely. Dorothy, have you ever thought about? what your mothers would would think if, uh, you know, they knew that you were now connected? Yes. Um, in fact, I recently wrote an article for Broadview Magazine in which I imagined our mothers possibly passing each other in the hospital, um, possibly even on the same ward, possibly even in the same room. I mean, mm-hmm. it, the possibilities really are endless with us only being born a week apart. We could have been side by side in two bassinets in St. Michael's Hospital. You know, we just don't know. And I, I think the most positive way to look at what Anna and Florence might have said to each other was even though they were really different, they were almost 10 years apart. One was from Chile. One had was like seventh generation Scottish Canadian. I, I think that if they had known about each other, that they probably would have felt a little relieved. I think they would have been able to say to themselves, it's not my fault. I think they would have been able to realize, to maybe relieve some of the sense of shame or blame that they might have felt for whatever went on if they know if they had known it had gone on more than once. Do you know what I mean? That, that's sort of... But they weren't alone. They weren't alone. Exactly. They weren't alone in that that they had some solidarity with other women who had been through exactly the same thing. And I, I'd like to think that they would have felt buoyed up and sustained by that. Well, amazing. It seems like both of you had to become private investigators during this whole story. And Dorothy, I know you're already a, a writer. You've written your memoir. This sounds like it's just waiting for you to write this story. A lot of people have said that to me. 
I, I'm not entirely sure. I think about it sometimes. I think I might write a series of smaller articles. I know it's book worthy, so mm-hmm. I haven't made up my mind one way or the other. I will just give you one more piece of good news. Mm-hmm. I encountered yet another relative about two weeks ago who contacted me. We share the same great grandmother. And in a really fascinating coincidence, this woman, Lori Summers, sent me an article that our great-great-grandmother had written. She worked with Edgerton Ryerson in the reading room, the Methodist reading room. And she sent some newspapers, some magazine articles for Onward, which was the Methodist church um, magazine at the time. And oddly enough, the article I had just published was in the United Church Broadview, which the Methodist Church became the United Church. And that's how this woman, Lori Summers, found me. So uh, the connections continue. And Don and I would welcome many other cousins or brothers and sisters that we find. And you're still you're still on the hunt. <laughs> Are you keen to find other? Do you expect that you'll find other family members? You never know, probably. And if they do, uh, they're all welcome. I love that. I can't tell you how much it means that you were willing to share your story with us. Does it does it feel good to share it? Yes, it does. Dorothy, is it important for you to share this? Yes, I think particularly because Don and I are children of the 1950s when uh, you weren't supposed to talk about being illegitimate, you weren't supposed to share that with people, at least not in my family, we weren't supposed to talk about me being adopted. And to finally, you know, throw a light on the whole thing and say that our family is just like any other family. It it just didn't include a wedding, (laughs) but it includes everything else. (laughs) All of the other kinds of strengths and weaknesses and problems and joys, all my birth family and Don's birth family, you know, includes all of those things. So I think it's important that we talk about it because I don't, I don't want anybody to feel like a second-class citizen. And I know a lot of adopted kids growing up felt that way. Um, And it's important in 2023 that we share those stories to change those attitudes. What would you say your definition of family is now? (laughs) Ever-growing. I think family can be about blood. I think family can be about chosen family. I think family can be about someone you meet later in life. I think family can be stretching back into history and discovering what your family was doing, you know, seven or eight generations ago is about your family as well. And I think family is about the next generation, about our kids who Don and I can now give the full story um, of their mom and their dad to which I think is really important for them if they go on in raising their families that they now know exactly where they came from. Yeah, that's beautiful. Don, what about you? What does family mean to you? A bond, creating a bond with, with the kids, with Dorothy that I know now. She is part of my family. It's the best thing that ever happened to me. And if there is somebody else that pops up, <laughs> they're all welcome. And we will embrace them. Oh, that's so beautiful. It's an ever-expanding circle of love. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having us. Thank you. 
Thanks for listening to the Canadian Love Map. If you love us, please subscribe and share. And if you want to help us spread the love even more, rate and review our podcast. It makes such a difference. We'll be back next week with another love story to add to the map. This podcast is presented and made possible by Charm Diamond Centers. It's hosted by me, Nancy Regan, and is produced and distributed by Podstarter.